Hey, I'm Christina Rea, and welcome back to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we're breaking down feedback, trolls, negative reviews, and everything in between. If you'd like to suggest a new topic, send us a compliment, ask us a question, or otherwise get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at BreakingOutPod or via email BreakingOutOfBreakingInPod at gmail.com. And if you want deeper dives into everything we cover on this podcast, subscribe to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash BreakingOutPod. For just $3 a month, you'll get bonus content like templates, curated learnings, custom info graphics and for ten dollars a month you'll get that a holographic logo sticker and a shout out at the end of each episode so i guess the first uh question i wanted to start with christina is do you read the comments because it's often like a a piece (laughs) of advice that people give like especially content creators who put their work online to just like hey never read the comments but do you do you do that (laughs) do you follow that (laughs) advice i don't follow that advice right now so So, so okay, so The Gaze was released by Alter, which has more views than any of my other work, like, on a huge scale. I mean, it has almost 100,000 views across their YouTube channel and their Facebook page, or really even over that at this point. And it's not, like, my own brand. It's on a brand where they have a bunch of fans that watch a whole bunch of horror films, and so... The comments on on the the gays version of those, especially on YouTube, I mean, there are like hundreds of comments. And so that was the one time where I actually followed that advice because it was like I could sit there all day reading them and do that every day and it could just become like a really unhealthy habit. And so I read comments for the first 48 hours and then I just stopped and I haven't read a single comment since and it's been, you know, it was released in August of 2020. On reviews of my features and on the Amazon reviews, like I have to read those just because I think when you're just starting out and when you have a really small audience, it's it's helpful. It's learning. Like it's it's not mm. all trolling. It's not all haters. I think you experience that when you're on a bigger scale and like I've seen with the gays, which even just even so, like their comments were mostly positive on the gays and even like the negative ones were constructive. And I think part of that is because Alter really heavily moderates their comments um, and like penalizes people who have been trolls in the past. Sure. And That's so, good. yeah. So I, I'm like of two minds. I think at a certain level of your career, you stop reading the comments, but I'm not there yet, generally speaking. Yeah, me either. And I, I am a notorious person who pokes the bear yeah. in basically every possible iteration of that. Um, I, I mean, I have a whole like YouTube video making fun of people who made fun of a different YouTube video of mine because I can't. I can't be contained. (laughs) Okay, so I think that in this conversation about, you know, feedback, trolls, negative reviews, it's worth just like taking a step back and looking at like getting feedback on your work in general, which I know a lot of people ourselves included, certainly, uh, Mm -hmm. sometimes struggle with because, you know, when you put a lot of like vulnerability and passion into something and then somebody says that, well, your vulnerability and passion could be tightened up a little bit, that's that's (laughs) uncomfortable to hear. And it's always going to be uncomfortable no matter how much it happens. But it is a necessity because in order to make your work good, you are going to need to listen to other opinions and make changes. So um, do you have any advice about like feedback, taking in feedback, giving feedback? Yeah. Yeah, feedback can be hard because 
it is, you know, it is such a vulnerable thing. And often, at least in my case, I try and get feedback before I feel done with it, before I feel it's finished. So I'm as kind of like least defensive as possible (laughs) uh, against uh, choices that I've made. And so that can be really hard because if you get it from the wrong people who don't know what a work in progress is supposed to look and feel like, then the feedback can be just unhelpful because you're giving Mm -hmm. feedback on like the sound mix. And it's just like, well, it doesn't exist yet. Um, (laughs) But the, I think if you're trying to get feedback, the, the main thing that you want to do is is be clear about what you're looking for. But I think that, that the uh, important caveat, and I'm sure you were getting to it, but I wanted to interrupt. Sure, yeah, go <laughs> ahead. That's how I am. Um, but I think that an important caveat to like being specific about what you're looking for is also don't like preempt it too much. I think that a yeah, lot yeah. of people feel the need to like, okay, so I know this sucks. I know this sucks. At, you know, oh, yeah, and if, oh, they, yeah. if you give too much direction, it can also be a problem. So I think it's a balance of like, absolutely give people pointers like, hey, sound mix isn't done yet. So like, unless something is so bizarre that you're like, I don't even know how this got into the just regular mm-hmm. mix. Don't mention the sound. That's yeah. one thing. But it's another thing to be like, okay, um, I know these five things are bad. Like, tell me how to make them better. It's like, well, now they're primed to think that it's bad. Right, right. And that's not a good experience. Yeah. So you want to be like kind of loose and broad in a way, but also give guidelines of like what you're what you're hoping to get feedback on, what you're not looking to get feedback on. You know, if you know in your head that maybe one of the performances like isn't quite there and you've worked with it as much as you possibly can and there's just like no making there's no way of making it any better than what it is. You don't want to say like, I know this actor sucks. So like ignore that. But you do want to say like, I'm not looking for feedback on performance, maybe, or I'm not looking for feedback on this particular scene, whatever, you know, but, but try not to, like you said, plant any seeds in their head, but also Mm -hmm. give them guidance. So because, for instance, when I did uh, a feedback screening for About a Donkey, which I didn't do a feedback screening for, for my first feature for Summit outside of cast and crew. And then later when we got some reviews and I was kind of seeing how certain things I hoped would translate because they made sense in my head. I was, you know, when I read how they were, how it was being communicated to the audience, I was like, oh, that didn't come across or that's being interpreted in a way that I didn't intend. And so I was really dead set on doing it for about a donkey. And some of the things that we got were like personal choices because we we mostly showed it to other directors. And I learned a lot from that experience. What I got a lot from some people was they wanted more of something that I didn't have, like coverage yeah. or or you know one one filmmaker kept saying that he wanted more wide shots and it's just like a that's a personal preference of like yours sure. clearly b we were trying to cheat a lot of locations so like that wouldn't have even been possible and and c like we don't have the coverage anyway like even if it weren't about sure. cheating we just like don't have the coverage and so that was something where i was just like okay you know i i i'm looking more for pacing i'm looking more for if the jokes are landing, if if the characters, like their arcs are are making sense and the way the stories are intertwined. And that was like, I had then had to say, okay, that's what I'm looking for from you before we really get into this feedback session where you're telling me you want more close-ups or wides or like, you know, things that I just don't have literally because we made a $20,000 sure. feature. 
totally. And like, it's one thing if, you know, there's a moment that you're like watching something and you're like, hey, do you have a wide close up? Whatever. Right. I think it would effectively insert thing it would effectively do. Because like, I think that that that's a definitely a problem in a lot of feedback. And the reason why so many of us can get defensive, especially early on, is because people love to make suggestions rather than mm-hmm. give feedback. And mm-hmm. they are very distinct things. Mm-hmm. Like people making suggestions are trying to make your movie into what they want. Exactly. People who are giving feedback understand what you're doing and are pointing out where you're not doing what you think you are and yeah. leaving the solution to you. If you want a solution, if you want to brainstorm, like, yeah, so I know this this section isn't working, but I don't have like this shot. Thoughts mm-hmm. on how we can like make that work. You know, that's right. totally fair game. Um, but like, of course, you're not going to always be able to get people to stop pitching you ideas. So um, mm-hmm. a piece of advice is always to try to look at the underlying reasoning. Like, obviously, yeah. if you have a room full of directors, they just want it to look like something they've directed because mm-hmm. that's how they are. But mm-hmm. like sometimes people will give a suggestion and like it's not helpful. And it's also not helpful for you to argue with them about their suggestion because then it just makes their feedback worse the rest of the time because it becomes very contentious. Mm-hmm. So instead, try to get to the core of like why do you think there needs to be a wide shot here right and like if they can articulate it usually the reason that they have for giving the suggestion has other solutions potentially especially that like make more sense for you as an artist Uh, but that allows you to sort of circumvent the argument about like why their suggestion doesn't work which is not a productive use of your time right i mean also in that particular situation they this particular guy had just watched a 90 minute cut of a film the final film is 76 minutes but a 90 minute cut oh, wow. and, and he just said more wides and it's like yeah that's where it's like where what are you that's talking somebody about? who zoned out and is like i didn't see enough landscapes yeah that's a problem <laughs> and like if i were to get to the heart of what that could mean we were tra- we you know we shot a film between long island and and queens but it was originally written to be in St. Louis because Kelsey's family is from there. And that's like sort of the, a lot of the characters are inspired by some people there. But then we were like, we're obviously not going to shoot a film there. We don't have the budget to go there and bring people there. And so we adapted to the script to be a little bit more like generic, small city America. And so part of that was like, we can't show too much landscape because- Because it'll be obvious it's New York. Yeah, exactly. And, but in his mind, he was maybe like, I want a sense of space more like, where is this city? And like, you know, where is sure. this set? And it's like, we're intentionally, you know, trying to not tell you that, which it would have been a valid like critique or, or just an opinion. But to say like more wides doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, that's not a helpful piece of feedback. And like this is I think it's worth filmmakers understanding how to give feedback as much as how to take it, mm-hmm. because, it, you know, it's the same thing of like, when you teach, you get better at something because you really have to understand the mechanics of it. I think it is important. And I think you get better at receiving feedback when you get better at giving it. Uh So how do you, Christina, for filmmaking and for scripts, like how do you sort of parse what feedback is useful to you and what isn't? It's not to say that feedback is bad or good, Uh but like, you know, sometimes good feedback is just not really useful to you at that time. So like, how, how are you sort of parsing that out? So I will usually, before I go into a feedback session or so Battle Donkey was the only time where we had like a real test screening and we had 20 something people there that weren't associated with the film. Other times I usually would just like email a rough cut to someone and ask them to email me back or maybe I'll do a phone call or something. It's usually more one on one. But sure. in the case of a Battle Donkey and I really liked that process and I would do it again, though I would be a little bit maybe more like selective about the directors that I invited based on because in, in that case, I tried to just like get a broad range of people mm-hmm 
that I felt like would have different opinions just so I could kind of see how the different things were being communicated and interpreted. But I didn't necessarily pick directors whose work I thought was really well directed. And so that was like a factor when I yeah, was deciding. Yeah, you do have to care about the taste of totally. somebody. Yeah. And I also probably would have then done a separate screening of like audience members who really don't make movies with a more polished version of the film. Though our festival run was a little bit of that like early on because I was able to make slight changes after our premiere. And stuff. Anyway, to answer your question, something I, I do is I make a list of my own questions of like what am I thinking about that doesn't work? Like, what What am I wanting to know about this film? Is this scene landing? Is this line funny? Is this, you know, does, does this feel like it needs to be tightened up? Whatever questions I have that are like gut reactions that I'm, tr- that I, you know, I'm trying to decide to keep or cut or trim or whatever. I have that written down so that when I get feedback after I can bucket answers into those categories without necessarily telling people up front that I want answers to those questions. Sometimes, you know, what I did with uh, with About a Donkey, we had a broad discussion and then I handed out surveys that would be anonymous. The other piece of it is that I wanted a lot of people there so that they would feel comfortable giving real answers. That's part of why I invited so many directors that I was kind of like, well, I don't know if I really like your work, but I'm going to invite you anyway because I want numbers here. Mm -hmm. Because I, I, So I had a survey that had more specific questions, but it was after we'd already had a general discussion and I recorded the general discussion so I could go back and listen to comments and things that they said just like off the cuff without having prompts from me. Mm -hmm. But then I could also compare to the survey. But but it is about bucketing, like starting where I'm, where what I'm initially looking for, knowing that, and then looking at what I got. And then a lot of it is just like gut calls because sometimes, you know, I did end up making a lot of changes to About a Donkey after that screening because of that screening. I mean, I cut the film down by by nearly 20 minutes. I had been really like fighting having to do any pickups. And after the screening, I was like, fuck, I'm gonna have to do at least one pickup. And so we did a pickup actually when I was, because one of the actors had moved to LA right after the shoot. And she w- and it was th- a scene that I knew wasn't working and I just kept trying to make it work because I had no way to connect where she was in the previous scene to where she was in the next scene. And I didn't have it, her as an option. But because of the screening, I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to figure out a way to do a pickup. And then I was going to LA for work and I was like, hey, are you up for shooting like a really random thing in front of a hospital? And she was like, totally, I'm up for it. And so I borrowed a friend's camera. They owned an a Sony A7S, which matched pretty well to the Amira that we shot on. And, uh, and we just like stole a quick shot in front of a hospital in LA. It actually like ended up being one of my favorite like quick bits. And I have a cameo in the scene too. And that wouldn't have happened without the test screening, without people being like, this scene is not working. And like, it was a scene I knew wasn't working. And so, yeah, it really, it's, it comes down to gut feelings and being able to suss out what is a personal preference from what is really going to make the thing stronger or like accomplish what you're going for. Yeah, I, I think, and I think that that's something that just really comes with practice because like, you know, initially your gut feeling is, no, it's all perfect. How mm-hmm. dare you have some <laughs> feedback for me? So I do, th- I like that you you start with like your own list of prompts. And I, I do that too. Like I don't necessarily write like full questions, but I will mm-hmm. make myself a little just like bulleted list of things that I'm thinking of or like moments that I'm like, mm-hmm. if somebody mentions this, like put a check mark. And if they don't, when we have our general discussion afterwards, like, 
like, I'm going to ask these specific questions because these right. are the things that I'm really worried about. And just right. because somebody doesn't say something initially doesn't mean they don't have an opinion. But it is useful to know what things don't really occur to people initially because it's like, okay, maybe this isn't as big of a glaring issue as I thought. Doesn't mean it shouldn't be fixed. And, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts. But it's useful to know that that's not something you bounced against. Something that we do um, with the projects that I've worked on is that we split our team into like different phases. Um, we we name it after. Uh, did you see Newsroom by Aaron Sorkin, the Mm-mm. TV show, the, I the know of it, liberal propaganda TV show yeah. that's like <laughs> very good but also very bad? It's it's a my mother in law is constantly trying to get us to watch it. I the first season is very good. It's all very like. Even if you're if you agree with them politically, which I assume most people who watch do, mm-hmm. like it's like grating sometimes. Like the <laughs> there are things where if you just sort of let yourself go. Anyways, we don't have time to talk about it. <laughs> but in newsroom, there in season two, the big sort of arc of that season is that uh, one of their new producers brings in this story that seems like you know, explosive and insane. But like, you know, they obviously have to be very careful with putting out this like, because they basically, they're basically like, um, accusing the US government of using uh, sarin gas during Mm -hmm. a conflict or something. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they, they, they vet it really, really strongly, it still ends up being, you know, a false story, spoiler alert, but um, (laughs) you learn that basically right away. But then it like the, the, the season is about like the process through which they both like, extremely vetted this story and also how they were deceived during it Mm -hmm. um and so the way that they do it is that they have a red team and a blue team so like red team has been with the story from the beginning and like they they go to all the production meetings and stuff about that but then like everyone who was assigned blue team aren't in it at all like they do not get the um the the any information they don't even know they know a story is happening but they don't know any of the details and then once red team has vetted to an extent where they're like, I feel comfortable putting this on the news. Then blue team comes in and reviews all of the materials totally fresh with like mm-hmm. no preconceived notions. And I actually find that to be a really useful filmed feedback system. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would work as well with scripts, although I do endeavor to do it as much as I can. But I think it's valuable to have totally fresh eyes come in after you've done a lot of work. Because then like instead of having the preconceived, oh, yeah, that that moment works a lot better now instead of just seeing the improvement, they're just seeing it straight. So Mm -hmm. if they still think it's bad, it may be improved, but it's still not working. And that is a valuable piece of insight that you just you can't manufacture from the same people. So like when we even with with our tiny, tiny team, you know, like Sam and Pat season two, we had, I think, six total people working on that project. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like, obviously, I was editing it. So I was in the first team. But then we had like, three of our people watch the first cuts and do a couple of, you know, uh, editing sessions and feedback sessions. And then once our team felt pretty good, then we sent it to the other group. And like, that's kind of how we try to run things is like, we always make sure at least one to two people have not seen it since we shot it. Mm -hmm. um, So that they can come in like having space and having no preconceived notions and are just watching it as a, a, you know, finished piece of media. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of our strategy. And obviously, like we we don't tend to do outside views. I think I might I sent you the um, the the Halloween special that we mm-hmm. did the quarantine special. And I don't think we sent it to anybody else. And then previously, we sent it to a couple of friends of Chris's who are big fans of our work. But generally speaking, we keep it in the family just because like, we don't have a big enough audience yet sure. to be able to like burn people on the early cuts. 
And sure. that's definitely something I'm sensitive to is like, I want people to see this when it's finished. And I didn't at the time, at least I didn't have a, a community of filmmakers outside of like my own team that I really trusted to show it to who like, again, mm-hmm. like you said earlier, would understand that it's an unfinished piece of work. Mm-hmm. And to like, take everything with that grain of salt. Yeah, I have tiers of people. So yeah, there are people that will see like the earliest cut and then kind of going down the line. So I do, I try to keep at least a couple people that have not seen it at all until it's like nearly finished or basically finished. But I've gotten, as I've made more, because I've made so many things at this point that I've, I've kind of lost the sensitivity that I used to have about letting people see something before I feel like it's done. And I've just gotten so much more open to getting feedback, again, from people who I, whose opinion I really value. Mm-hmm. It's not just like showing it to anyone and then like listening to their nonsense, but someone who I'm like, oh, I, I really like your taste or I really like what you make or I think you'll really get this or this feels really like your style of what you like and so I want to hear what you think. I've gotten very used to just or comfortable with just like letting people see it and letting them give me feedback and taking it in and not feeling like, oh my God, I need to change everything because I'm getting all this stuff. Uh, and I honestly don't get that much. I usually get pretty consistent feedback and it's usually on on things that I, I think are like really what I was planning to work on anyway or what I could see needed work in some way. And that's just like getting better as a being a filmmaker in general. Sure. But I, I think at, at a certain point, you have to get comfortable with outside eyes because they're going to see like you get you go on the festival circuit with enough projects and you get enough audience reactions and for me I started to learn like I would so much rather know that that joke is not landing now than in a room of 75 people and like no one laughs you know what I mean to to be clear for me it's just that I didn't have anyone whose taste I appreciated anyone who could ask beyond our own team basically were people who would otherwise just be fans of the work Mm -hmm. and that's sort of my thing it's like I don't want to ask fans to give feedback when we have so few because I it's it's like I don't want this them to see the sausage get made I just want because like they're excited that this thing is coming out so I just want them to be excited and to enjoy it when it's done so like that was that was my previous issue I think now I have met enough people that I could probably get together a, you know, a suite of filmmakers that I, mm-hmm. I really uh, respect. But yeah, for us, it was just we didn't really have anyone outside of our own team that mm-hmm. wasn't just like a fan mm-hmm. <laughs> who we could really ask um, or friends who like, you know, limited in their ability to give feedback anyways. One, I will say one person that I that I do go to who's like a late, a late feedback person is Justin, my husband. I was going to ask if you, if you share it with your husband. <laughs> I do. You know, very early on, I shot Summit. We had been dating for a year and a half at that point, and we had just moved in together. And I left to go shoot Summit for two weeks, and I came back. And for like a year, he was just like, can I see something? Can I see something? Can I see something? Can I see it? Can I see it? Can I see it? Can I see it? And it was just like, I was like, no, you can't. And it was just, I I hated the idea of him seeing something before I felt like it was ready. And then finally I gave in and I let him watch the rough cut of Summit. And then I was like, what did you think? And he's not a filmmaker. He had never seen anything in a rough cut version before. And he just like tore it apart. Oh, no. I was waiting for a heartwarming beat. No, it was not heartwarming. No. He was like, because he, he was like the sound. And he's like, this was, and he, he was like, what do you want from me? Do you want like a real honest opinion? I was like, I want an honest opinion, but I wasn't prepared for like the level <laughs> of honesty I got. And I got so defensive and I was like, well, okay, first of all, <laughs> you know, and I explained how everything works in a rough cut to him. And he was like, okay, okay, okay. I understand. 
And then he watched the like final and he and he was like, I get it. It makes more sense to me now. And then after that, I was very hesitant to ever show him a rough cut ever again. But in the last like five to six years, now I feel like I got him <laughs> trained to the level of like viewership that I want from someone because he's not a filmmaker. Sure. So there's no level of like competitive or personal, like what I would do coming from sure. him the way there would be from other filmmakers. But he watches a lot of independent film because he comes to festivals with me. He watches, you know, indie movies that I want to rent. So he has like a good eye for what I what I think a movie should be as opposed to like what Hollywood tells you a movie should be. But he's like a general viewer still. He still has, he's not like, you know, an artsy kind of like highbrow. I only watch like film, you know, I only watch cinema, like a kind of thing that you sometimes <laughs> get from other filmmakers. And he's like an intelligent viewer, you know, and so he's kind of the ideal viewer for me to get that late feedback from. And and sure. so he has become that. And and he but he's also very good at being like, okay, you're asking me to watch it. What do you want from me? Do you want like supportive husband Justin? Or you do want do you want like real honest <laughs> do you want real honest viewer Justin? Do you want Roger Ebert husband? Yes. <laughs> and thankfully most of the time the opinions are the same from either Justin. <laughs> but but he is really good at being honest with me when I'm kind of like lying to myself a little bit, like when I don't want to kill my darlings, like when I don't want to let go of this one scene because I really love it, but I know it drags things down. And he's like, I don't think you need that. Like it really drags things down. And then I'm like, okay, fine. You're right. No problem. I think that's that's really cute both that your husband is, has been trained over years. Yeah, <laughs> Quinn, Quinn is a writer. So he's great mm -hmm. when I'm like writing prose and a little bit when I'm writing scripts, but he's not really a script guy, but he is good for like breaking ties because like I edit most of the work that I make and so usually for me like when the way that I edit which I know is maddening to most people is that I bring all of the takes into the timeline and cut it up so that I just have like a succession of like eight takes mm -hmm. per you know line or whatever and I will just go one by one and like eliminate things um, until I have a completed uh, assembly and so sometimes if like there's two readings where they're like there's infinitesimal differences or like they're both good versions of it and they both work with the clips on either side of it but I can't figure out like I, I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other mm -hmm. I'll bring Quinn in and I'll just play for him the two versions and he'll tell me and I'll just be like great perfect because I trust him as a storyteller and as a viewer of work um, but I don't trust him enough to have like high level opinions I just mm -hmm. if I are if I'm fine with either one I kind of let him break the tie but then I also as an editor will have double takes or like alt takes still in the timeline just like muted so that if my director when I'm showing it to him or you know whoever else I'm working with is like do you have another take of that line if I had another one that I liked I can just bring it back up um, so mm -hmm. that way I'm not hunting because like my early defensiveness as an editor especially was like people would ask me for different takes and I'm like there aren't any I picked this one because it's the best one <laughs> mm -hmm. and I found that's not very helpful and so <laughs> usually I'm right, like, because I spend a lot of time with the footage, but it's helpful to have the evidence of, like, this is the only other take we had, you know, or this is mm -hmm. the only other one where, like, the line wasn't flubbed. So that way I can, be, they can just, like, be done with it. But if there's this mystery of, like, what if there's another take that's beautiful, mm -hmm. <laughs> then everyone gets bogged down. So even though it, like, makes my actual project file much bigger, just because, like, all these dead takes are still in the, in the timeline, it makes the feedback process go a lot faster. I will also say, in terms of taking feedback, uh, it, advice that I got when I was in undergrad in writing college was one of the rules was when you're being 
when you're the project being like feedbacked, <laughs> when you're being critiqued, you are not allowed to talk until the yeah. very, very end. So mm-hmm. like give yourself whatever time limit you need. You are literally not allowed to talk. You're not allowed to respond. You're not. A- the only thing you can do is answer questions. But even that you mm-hmm. should use sparingly because if somebody has a question, you're not going to be around every time they read your work, every time they watch your work. And mm-hmm. so you just giving people an answer and then going, oh, OK, <laughs> that's not helpful. What is their answer to the question? And also, once you are allowed to talk, only asking questions. So instead of being like, all right, here is my rebuttal to your feedback. (laughs) Once the feedback has been given to you, now you you just ask them clarifying questions like, okay, you said that this didn't make sense to you. Can you expand on that? Like what was confusing? You know, things like that. Um, And I find that that is a much more productive feedback session all the way around. You get more useful information because Mm -hmm. you're getting it without your own input. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. are not wasting as much time giving your input because, again, it's irrelevant at this point. Like the work Mm -hmm. is separate from you. And if people can't can't interpret what you want on their own, then you have failed. (laughs) And it doesn't matter that you get it or that it's totally obvious, because clearly it's not. And if Mm -hmm. they can't answer the questions for themselves, then you need to answer them better in your film. Um, But yeah, so I I find that to be a much more helpful process. And I I implement it in all my grad programs, and they hate it, because they really (laughs) want to talk. And I'm like, (laughs) or they'll get passive aggressive, like, am I allowed to answer that question? And I'm like, no, (laughs) not yet. I want them Mm -hmm. to answer it. I want to I want you to see how they would answer it if you weren't here. Mm-hmm. But it, I think it's better. I, I, I stand by that process. I agree. I agree with it. I, I think, yeah, I mean, it depends on the situation, like if it's one-on-one or if it's in a group setting. But for sure, I think if you give yourself the freedom to talk, then you'll just like never stop. You'll keep just mm-hmm. explaining what you were going for. And it's like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, that's not helpful. It's it's what, how is it being interpreted is what you need to hear. And then you can mm-hmm. problem solve later. Like you can figure exactly. out how you're going to actually make what you want, your intention come through. But but actually listening and, and and letting people speak and not getting defensive. And, and hearing not. how they interpret it yeah. without your input, like, is so, so valuable. Because mm-hmm. once you let yourself listen, you'll, you'll realize, oh, I understand why you're confused. Because in my head, she says this, but that's not what she says in the, in the movie. So I need to add maybe ADR or something. Like, you, mm-hmm. you can problem solve. We have every faith in you. You are the creator of this thing. You are ultimately responsible for solving the problems. But until you know what those problems are, rather than being like there's no problems it's airtight Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's not useful and you won't be able to solve the problems do you have anything else to say on feedback or do you want to move on to negative reviews and trolling because yeah i i mean i don't know if there's a lot to say about (laughs) negative reviews and trolling but yeah so negative reviews how has that been a part of your filmmaking career how is that have you like have you grown in the way you react to them what what Mm. what is what is your experience with negative reviews? I mean, negative reviews when they're coming from like a real critic, a real source and not just audiences, I do really try to take in the constructive feedback. I mean, we got reviews of Summit and About a Donkey and Kelsey, and I don't think I've ever gotten a review, like a real, real review of a short. I'm trying to think if there have been like little mini reviews, like a little paragraph, but there's never been like a full review that I've had for a short. And so... For my features, I, I've gotten a lot and none have been terrible, which I think if we had gotten, if we had, you know, if the film had gotten like a theatrical and, and had gotten much wider release and we had gotten like dozens and dozens of, of reviews, then there would have probably been some like real terrible ones in there. But even the ones that were would be considered negative were pretty lukewarm. Like they weren't, they had, they had said positive things to say. 
And they hurt, like, I'm not going to lie. They, they hurt, you know, like sure. to read, to read that someone just doesn't think something is good that you made can be hurtful. But what I do like about reviews that come from real critics, it's usually coming from this place of like starting with good, like this landed, but this didn't, or, sure. or having, having wise behind their opinions. Usually. And it's coming so, from somebody who wants to like your film. Yeah. And I think that that's useful. I think that the difference between negative reviews and like trolls is mm-hmm. that trolls aren't coming and like, you know, we can define trolls however we want. But I think that the ultimate difference between a reviewer and a troll is that a troll is coming with bad intent. They don't mm-hmm. want to like it. They want to find a reason. Um, and they and ever all of their like feedback, quote unquote, is in bad faith. So, you know, mm-hmm. so it's about like someone's appearance or it's about just like the the con- yeah. like the the nature of the content as a whole versus mm-hmm. a reviewer will say, like, these are things that the film did that I noticed that I liked or disliked. And mm-hmm. in either case, it it feels better because it, you you understand that like this person is coming to you in good faith. They wanted to like your film and mm-hmm. they've done their best to lay out what worked for them and what didn't. Yeah. And I think it can be, you know, it, it, it always comes down to taste too, because totally like I think the worst review we got of About a Donkey was from Film Threat. They gave it a 6.5 out of 10 or maybe it was a six. But <laughs> one of the quotes I remember from it was the movie was kind of like when you're a kid and your sibling points their finger just close to you but isn't quite touching you and is like I'm not touching you I'm not touching you I'm not touching you and it's really annoying and and he was like that's how I felt about the movie but then by the end I realized I had been touched um and (laughs) wow yeah and so he was like I sounded really annoying and like the quirkiness didn't work for me and I like just wasn't a fan but then by the end it touched me and I was like I found myself really moved by the way things were wrapped up and I was like okay like I'll take that <laughs> like they are annoying people like the part the point of the movie is that they're all just like in in progress of like growth and so they're kind of like all shitty in the beginning and yeah and if you're like not into like quirky punchy banter Cause it's like the entire fucking movie basically. And then like, you know, shots of donkeys and then like a, like a kiss between two women, basically like that's about a donkey in a, in a package. But um, if that's not your thing, then like, fine. Like it, it was a very like prefer- pre- preference based review, but then sure. we got like another one that was just like, Oh, I, it was so funny. And I just loved the characters and I loved like, it reminded me of my sibling relationships and how like my parents drive me crazy. And, how like they just don't get me, but I love them, whatever. And it was just like a very opposite kind of review. Mm-hmm. And and what are you going to do about that? You know, like right. it, as a director, it's like, okay, someone loved it for the things that this person hated it for. And mm-hmm. it's just like, that's not their kind of movie then. Like, yeah, why are they even reviewing my movie? You can't internalize every piece of feedback. You can't, inter- you can't internalize any of it. You can like reflect on it. You can learn from it. But if you take any of it personally, it destroys you. And like you, you if you don't feel like you have the detachment yet, I think that maybe you should not read them for a while. Like I think yeah. that some people probably need like six months in between finishing the film and like having mm-hmm. its initial, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. and reading what any 
everyone says about it because it gives you enough sort of healthy detachment to like analyze it not from an emotional place because like there's no emotions in reviews you know and they're yeah. never gonna know what's in your heart and so you've got to just step back I will say the the genre of feedback or of reviews that I got for brains um, that were most devastating to me were the ones that didn't like the writing but really liked my performance and I was like how dare you I hate acting I don't hate acting but like I don't love it but like that was so funny to me um, and it seemed like a lot of people didn't realize that it was the same person because mm-hmm. like they were like glowing about my performance in a lot of cases um, but then it was like yeah but just the writing just didn't work I didn't like any of the characters the plot blah 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 and I was like no I don't want to be an actor how dare you do this to me and um, it, I still That's... find it very funny to this day <laughs> and, and like here's the thing about Brain Season 1 which I adore with all of my heart they're absolutely right that the thing that I eventually realized I was doing does not come through. Like, mm-hmm. in my mind, it's obvious that Allison, the main character, my character, is an unreliable narrator and, like, moving the narration and the, like, story to her will because she's the one shooting and editing this story. You know, it's mm-hmm. found footage. So, like, she is in control of the narrative. And basically, from minute one, she is not someone you can rely on. But, like, because the narrative of at least the first season, especially, and even to a certain extent, season two, doesn't really punish her for her bad behavior, mm-hmm. there is an implicit like, well, we disagree with her, but we're also on her side. So I'm not really sure what we're saying here. And like later seasons of the show really go into like the toxicity of her controlling the narrative of all of these other people whose judgments we just like put onto them because she's the one telling their story. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I should have done a lot better job in season one if that was what I wanted to do, making mm-hmm. it clear that this is an unreliable narrator. And there are ways that mm-hmm. we can do that mm-hmm. while her, st- with her still controlling the narrative. Um, and so like, that was a big problem is that people were like, this girl is terrible, but we are supposed to be on her side. And I was like, well, no, shit. <laughs> and for a while, I couldn't get that in through my head. But as I kept writing, and as I kept making other works, I was like, Oh, okay, I can't just say like, because I, I, I there's so much that I've written about brains, I did FAQs, I did all this stuff. And it's like, it never once occurred to me that the fact that I was writing so much about my show to contextualize what happened in it was a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just it came with time and experience to realize like, hey, sometimes people are right, and maybe calm down a little bit. And also yeah. maybe act. Nah, <laughs> no, I don't want to act. One thing I was gonna say, um, also, I experienced a lot with Summit with reviews was that even within like horror fans, there are sub fans, like people who like different kinds of horror movies. And so even though critics are supposed to review movies from like an ob- as objective a position as possible, that's like, does it work as what it is trying to be? There's still going to be like this personal taste that infiltrates it. And, sure. and so that was something I experienced a lot with Summit because the movie is set up to be a slasher and then it's like not. It's more of like a psychological thriller and there there is a killer, but like she's manipulating everyone and it's it's like a very different kind of movie than what it, you think it is, which is, again, like a slasher kind of thing. And I was also trying to like p- comment on gender and racial tropes in the genre itself. And I was trying to kind of play with like expectations within the genre from genre fans. And all of that, I don't, I don't 
like in hindsight, I mean, it's been 10 years. I don't think it all like translates and communicates and I would do a lot of things differently if I were trying to do all of those things again. But the reviews were so across the board, just like drastically different because of the fan expectation of the reviewer. And it was like, oh, I thought this was going to be a slasher and it wasn't and I hated that. Or like, I thought this was going to be a slasher, which I really hate, but then it wasn't that and I liked that for that. And it's just like, you start to realize that you can't really please everyone because mm-hmm. so much of review reviews, even if it is coming, even if they are coming from the subjective place, they're they're coming from like what the person expects and wants your movie to be. And mm-hmm. as opposed to like accepting it for what it is and embracing that fact. And and that has taken me a sure. long time to take like accepting it used to and then just appreciate reviews for what they are. And and so often I would see like with somebody because it's an ensemble and five characters, they get pretty equal screen time. There would be reviews that would be like, oh, this actor was the best. And then another one would be like, oh, this one was the best. And mm-hmm. and some people would be like this one, their performance wasn't quite there. And it's like this one, their performance really was there. And it's like the same actor. And so you start to just see like it's so subjective. I also think it's worth like remembering that the circumstances where you watch something makes your perception of it totally different which Mm -hmm. can account for like some of the difference of opinions that are like so stark and like black and white day and night. Because Mm -hmm. like for me, when I'm watching a movie like on my couch versus on my laptop versus like in a theater, I have a totally different experience of the movie. And most reviewers, especially of indie films, probably aren't seeing them in the theaters. Like maybe Mm -hmm. a couple of them will because they're going to a festival. But like, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think that grain of salt is always fair to take with with reviews, especially if like it seems unfounded or whatever but yeah i think at the end of the day you can't i mean your film is done so like if they say something that you're like oh that's actually something i could fix easily and Mm -hmm. i agree with you know with your own sort of gut feeling sure make a little change and upload a new version but like at the end of the day it's a finished piece of work and people will do with it what they want but like you make work because you want to make it and as long as a couple of people like it and you still like it then it doesn't matter what they think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, reviews reviews can sometimes come from also art, like very artistry, like it's very oriented around the artistry or the craft or like the technical mm-hmm. ability. And sometimes it's, like A Battle Donkey is a good example of I was making a movie with an intention of, of like a mission and an effect I wanted to have. I wanted, I had, Mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to cause people, I wanted to like draw people in. It was a little bit of like a bait and switch. You know, I wanted to draw people in who would not watch like queer inclusive content and then make them like fall in love with this sweet love story. And we had people walk out and stuff, of course, but for the most part that worked. And so some of the critiques though would be like about how the movie was a little bit like fluffy And if I were, and that's like a totally valid opinion from someone who's like trying to make like really like highbrow award-winning art, like if that's what you're looking Mm -hmm. for. But I was trying to make a little bit of like, this is a movie that you watch on like fucking Hallmark around Valentine's Day. And it's like a little bit fluffy to draw you in because you normally wouldn't watch that if it centered two women. But like, because I'm tricking you into doing that, I'm like giving you the comfort food that you want 
in the in the like non-challenging content and then I'm challenging you in other ways. And so like you're like hiding our pill in peanut butter exactly. like an animal. Right. And so and so like coming from an, from other filmmakers or from like someone who also is who is focused on craft like you could say like oh, you know, there's there are aspects that are just like heavy-handed or there are aspects that are like too, you know, like sweet and just like excessive and just not like a good a good subtle movie and it's like okay that's fine but like that's not what I'm going for like I'm intentionally trying to do a thing that's going to have an effect on an audience and then I would read you know IMDb reviews or Amazon reviews or especially emails you would get after screenings and the things I was trying to do would really land with the people I was trying to get it to land with and so it's like that matters so much more than this like review that had these opinions that that maybe were a little bit negative. It all comes down again to your goals. If you are clear with your goals, any feedback that people are giving you or any reviews people are giving your work that like are irrelevant to the goals that you're trying to accomplish, then they're irrelevant. And like, Mm -hmm. hey, thanks for watching my movie and letting people know about it. That's it. That can be the end of the interaction. Right. And, And so I think that always keeping that in mind, and that's why I think similar to the feedback of like writing down your questions or your feelings or prompts or whatever before you go into a feedback session. I also try and do a similar thing before I release a film, you know, before we hit the festival circuit or before we go online. I write down what I was hoping audiences to get out of it and like what I what my intentions are were behind making this movie and keep that in mind so that any reviews or any, you know, negative comments that come in, they go through that filter of like, okay, where is this mm-hmm. opinion coming from? And does it really matter at the end of the day when it's like up against what I actually accomplished and and what I set out to do and and the ways in which I did do that? And I do recommend doing that because I think it's like it's just good for your mental health to like, you know, have Mm -hmm. have that. Yeah, the human brain is not meant to filter every human being's opinions about them and the things that they do at all times. Like, you know, it's, it's the same reason, like, Hey, sometimes get off Twitter. (laughs) Like being too informed can be just as toxic as being Mm under-informed. Give yourself a break. You're one person. You're okay. It's, it's okay. Everything is okay. I am curious, Christina, have you ever experienced like negative feedback in person? Cause obviously like having the detachment of the internet is helpful because you can just like not read that review. You don't know what this Mm -hmm. person is looking like. They're not asking for a response right away. So like there is a level of just like inherent detachment that can kind of keep you safe. But have you ever had somebody like be negative to you in person? Um, yes. Outside of like screenings where I'm asking for it and they're maybe getting constructive. I have definitely had, so with About a Donkey, we really did experience people walking out. Like the moment they realized that there was a gay character in the film, that like the, the oldest daughter was was a lesbian and that there was like slight maybe this attraction happening between the woman who who was her grandmother's nurse like there's a scene a big thing about about a donkey too is that we don't ever actually say anyone is queer she's not identified as a lesbian it's just like suddenly a romance is no one's like oh our our lesbian daughter is incorrigible yeah exactly it comes later like later after the fact where then like a joke is made but part of the whole point was like in straight you know movies with straight romances no one's like you're straight so that person is a viable you know love interest for Mm -hmm. you and so we tried to do the same thing with about a donkey but like the moment it became apparent 
we would hear little whispers, we would overhear stuff, and we would see people walk out. But a lot of the time we saw people really sit through it. And this is not fully answering your questions, but what question, but one of my favorite moments was when we were in uh, Pulse in Montana for a festival, which was like 70 something Trump voting. And that was part of my strategy with About a Donkey was I used 2016 election data to pick cities I wanted to screen about donkey in because I wanted to go where like local people turn out and they generally vote really conservatively. And there was a couple behind us where the husband couldn't hear very well and the wife was like explaining stuff to him because he would miss little beats. And, and she was like, okay, now they're talking. But she was like really loud whisper because he couldn't hear well. And so Kelsey, they were right behind me and Kelsey. And so we were just cracking up the whole time. And then the scene happens where there's like a lingering look between Cecilia and Jordan, the two women. And he's like, what's happening? And she's like, oh, oh, I think she's a lesbian. <laughs> and, and he's like, she's like, oh, what? And she's like, gay, I think she's gay. <laughs> and, oh and then he was like, oh, do you want to leave? And she was like, no. No, let's stay. Let's stay. It's pretty funny. And and they stayed through the whole movie. And then Kelsey and I stood up at the end for the Q&A and everyone in the audience clapped. And as we were standing up, we like spotted them and they were really, they were probably like in their 70s. And, or he was, she was a little bit younger. And they were, the woman smiled at me and she was like, nice job. And he was like, yeah, yeah, good job, good job. And like, you know, whatever, like it's a small win, but I definitely had some moments where in the Q&A, people would like accuse me of having an agenda. <laughs> and you were like, yeah, I wrote I wrote it down. Sorry, yeah. was I not clear about that? Yeah. Here it is. That was like, it. one of the things, one of the worst things that happened was someone, a woman in the audience was like, it was kind of a shock when, when Annie, the, the younger sister in the film's husband was black. Like that was a sh like a surprise because she's like revealed to be pregnant and then you meet her husband like 35 minutes into the movie and it's Ricardo, uh, the actor mm -hmm. I work with a lot. And the woman was like not, she was like framing a question that was trying to ask me why I chose to have her husband be black and as if it was like a like bait and switch as well. Like that, just that aspect of it. And I was just like, I don't like, what's your question? <laughs> I'm, I'm like, if black people exist. Like, I don't, did you want it to be announced? Like in the first scene that like my black baby is like gonna be black. Oh, like, my <laughs> black, my incorrigible black son-in-law and my incorrigible lesbian daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and... And so that was like a thing that there were a lot of people, the word agenda came up a lot. Oh, and also I will say, so we we got our donkey from a, a donkey sanctuary upstate and we did a screening when the film was done for the sanctuary and their, their donors. And their donors are a lot of like elderly rich people who uh, probably lean conservative and they were mostly white. And their feedback was really interesting because <laughs> They, a lot of them, like the guy who who owned the sanctuary was really lovely. He read the script. He knew what it was. Like, I assume he's more liberal than, sure. than like the people in that room. But the donors were clearly more conservative. I could tell that they were unsure of what kind of feedback to give because it was a different movie than what they expected. And one woman was like, maybe you should submit it to that that thing on PBS POV because you obviously have a point of view. 
And and she just kept saying like that we had a point of view, and that's that's how art works. I art know. Have a point of view. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so there's a lot of coded language, or really like obviously not coded language. And agenda was the biggest one that came up. The other time that I got negative feedback in person was with the gays on the festival circuit. Men had very like <laughs> strong opinions. What a surprise! About it. Yeah. <laughs> one guy came over to me and was like. Yeah, nice job, Christina. Uh, Like, you know, thanks for scaring me away from wanting to date. Uh, God forbid I ever look at a woman. And I was just like... I mean, if you had that reaction to this film, yeah, I'm glad I scared you off women, you psycho. I was like, uh, A, the movie's not scary if you're not a guy like that. So, like, it's it's not, it's actually not scary. (laughs) And if you're scared, that says something about you. And B, like, no one says you can't look at a woman. Like, there's... There's no nothing in this movie that says you cannot look. It's just be careful. She might look back and zap you with her laser eyes. Right, right, exactly. So like, I don't know, be cautious. Right. It's just like if you identify with a guy at the end, then it's just like there's something That's your bag. Exactly. But that was <laughs> that was one. That was one where there was like a, a lot of different comments. But then of course women would come over and I was like, "Oh my god, it was so fun. It was so satisfying. It was, you know." And also I think that was one that's like misinterpreted because it's like intentionally campy. And yeah, of course, mm-hmm. there's like subtext that's really serious that I'm, you know, talking about. And so a lot of my Q&As would end up being kind of heavy handed because they'd be like, what inspired you to make this? And it's like, well, I mean, like, is it not obvious? But if you want me to answer that question, then I will talk about being a woman in the world. But it's actually like really campy and supposed to be playful and like tongue in cheek and, you know, fun. But And women would get that, but men would interpret it as like this serious thing. And then they would pick it apart in like a serious kind of way where they'd be like, oh, tonally, it's like, it's not scary and it's not effective. And I was like, well, it's not really supposed to be scary and it's like supposed to be fun. And if you laughed, like, good, it's supposed to make you laugh. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and like the beginning scene is intentionally like goofy the way the killer comes out and like men would give would give me comments that was they felt like was a dig at me like they were trying to be hurtful by telling me that like that moment wasn't scary and it's like well yeah like it wasn't supposed <laughs> no to be shit. yeah and it's like and it could be like if you don't watch horror movies and that I could see how that's supposed to that would scare you because it's also playing with like moments that are jump scares in movies which do actually scare people and so whatever it's like it's all really meta and it's all really like take it how you will I call it a creepy and campy thing like it's it has duality to it but that was just one where it was just like there was a constant pattern of men wanting to get like a dig in by giving me like an artistic critique that was really rooted Mm -hmm. in in their own personal like you know bruised yeah egos and whatnot and i i feel bad that like our our sort of overriding advice for all of this is just like make a lot of work and get a lot (laughs) of feedback and eventually you will be dead inside like us but like i you know i i do think that there is a level to which you know similar to our imposter syndrome episode you just have to get over it Mm -hmm. you know at the end of the day there's no trick Mm-hmm. to getting good at handling negative feedback like I will still like my you know the devastating feedback I get for ace and anxious when it happens is like a comment will come in that's like I'm asexual and I hated this and it's mm-hmm. like well damn mm-hmm. that's too bad I'm sorry I'm sorry you didn't like it you know and like that that always sucks because like I made that film for my community for people mm-hmm. who don't get to see ourselves very often and to hopefully see us in a, a more interesting and nuanced light than just like yet another coming out story or 
or yet another like, well, don't you want love? Like, I'm, I don't want to have questions. This yeah. She is asexual. It is a part of her, but it is not her central problem. Her central problem is her anxiety. Isn't anxiety dumb? And like when people don't get that, like, unlike with brains, I don't think they're right. <laughs> this is one of the cases where I'm like, no, I think I'm very clear from the get go what the issue is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think because her asexuality is brought up so early, just because I wanted to make it very clear in canon right away, she is asexual, it's fine. Some people, because it's being introduced at the same time as the central conflict, people will kind of get those confused. And because I am intentionally being, um, you know, provocative with a free sex ad on Craigslist, you know, like the whole conceit is very provocative, uh, even though I don't mention that in the logline anymore, because I, I know that that can sometimes like make uh, asexual audiences uncomfortable. Like, you know, it's a part of the film. It's what the film is about. Um, mm-hmm. And so when people don't like it, I'm like, I that that bumps me out. I'm sad that you didn't like it uh i think that what you're interpreting from it is you projecting i'm sorry you feel that way but like i have finally gotten to the point where like i no longer feel the need to like respond to those sorts of things even though i'm like well actually because like is well actually a useful thing here like this person (laughs) had a bad reaction and you know what even if i logic them into submission like how is that a good Mm -hmm. use of either of our times like how is Mm -hmm. this one person not liking my movie going to change either of our lives if I convince them otherwise you know what I mean like they don't like it that's fine I have to just get over that (laughs) right and I think also putting yourself in the audience shoes as much as possible will always kind of give you like the perspective you need to like bring you back down to earth because I don't like everything I watch (laughs) and there are a lot of things where I'm like that was well made or well done for what it was or accomplished what it was trying to do, but it's not for me. It's not my taste. I, It's not my sense of humor. It's not, sure. you know, it didn't work for me for whatever reason. And that doesn't mean it's bad. That doesn't mean that it's not right. a good movie. And reminding myself of that fact as an audience member allows me then to like accept that about other people when they comment on my own work. Totally. Uh, So I think that it's a good time to now transition into our final section, trolls. So you mentioned that trolling is much more something that you've experienced uh, in uh, contrast to reviews. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, because of a a lot of the work I've done has been more like has more audience reach than like industry reach and reviews are harder to get without industry reach. But, you know, audiences, if you're on any kind of accessible thing like Amazon, then you're going to get them a lot. Uh, Summit also was pirated like the like 48 hours after I released it on VOD. And so Ugh. it then got like uploaded everywhere in shitty ass quality and then got just like attacked on IMDb. I mean, it has like a three on IMDb because all the haters and then a lot of reviews and, and it's all just like users being hateful. I don't know. When I when I first released Summit, and I, at that time, IMDb still had their message boards. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, yeah. I Don't they still? I feel like... They don't... Are, are they gone? They're gone. They're not, like, on per page okay. anymore. Yeah. I do remember that, though. And there was one guy who wrote a bunch of logic flaws. Like, he, had, he just had a list of logic flaws in Summit. And so I commented and was like... Oh, no. <laughs> I it was like the first time I ever experienced anyone online, sure, sure, sure. you know, saying anything about anything I'd made, and I replied and I was like, 
appreciate your feedback. Uh, if I may just address some of the, you know, the logic flaws that you claim. And I kind of responded with, with what actually the case was. And then he, he, I assume it's he responded just like attacking me as a woman. <laughs> so it was like, clearly, you know, initially the response was of course hateful, but like not a personal attack. It was all just like things that he didn't like about the movie. But then the moment I engaged, then it was like, you're a bitch who just like makes shitty movies and whatever. And so that was a lesson in <laughs> in like, okay, this is a waste of time when it's someone who just wants to like be hateful just for the sake of being hateful. And so that's when I decided, okay, I'm not going to resp- respond to comments unless they're like real constructive criticism that, and they say nice things too or... Mm-hmm. If it's nice stuff, I'm obviously going to respond. But I also, moving forward, decided anytime I'm going to release something new and I'm anticipating a lot of engagement like that, potentially like with the gays or when it was released about a donkey on Amazon and when, of course, some of it was on Amazon, I make promises to myself that I'm not just going to like check periodically or randomly or every day, but I'm going to set specific windows of time. And so I will... Say like, okay, today I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like, you know, mentally healthy and like not super anxious and ha- like generally well adjusted to life. Like there is, it isn't, it's hard with the news cycle, but like I'll say, okay, today's not like the worst news cycle. So I set a time and I make sure that I'm, you know, I've had a couple tea, cup of tea and I'm, you know, like I've eaten and I'm, I'm, my blood pressure seems okay. And I just take an hour and I take in the comments and I, and I like prepare myself for the trolls. So that's something that I really like stick to moving forward. I don't just willy nilly read stuff and allow it to affect my mood when I'm not mentally prepared for it. I also will sometimes ask other people. So with the gays, when it first got released, I knew that their day one views tend to be pretty intense. Like the gays got 35,000 views in the first day and I could see the comments were really like just nonstop. And so I asked Kelsey and Ryan to go and read them for me and let me know if they were like generally positive or if I should avoid them. And they were like, they're generally positive. You should go read them. <laughs> like, And they, they sent me a couple. They were like, here's like a little taste of the good stuff. And I was like, okay, now I'm excited to go read them. Yeah, um, I like yeah. sending nice comments that are about like my cast, especially just mm-hmm. to them. So like, you know, the people that I have like close relationship with, like Colin Hinckley, who's my Ricardo, um, people love him because he's always cast as like the beloved best friend or the like love mm-hmm. interest. And so anytime I see a, a sweet comment about him or a thirst comment about him, I'll send it to him like, hey, look, people still love you. And, you know, he he is somebody who is like very sensitive and like doesn't love <laughs> reading negative things and like sometimes feels down about himself and you know he's like a perfectionist so he'll watch things back and he's like are you sure I was good in this I think I was terrible I'm like Colin you're great and so I I like sending him little like you know serotonin boosts every once in a while Mm -hmm. when they come through Um, but I don't I don't send obviously negative reviews even to people who like you know are might like learn something you know like I'm not going to send negative stuff to people unless it is somebody who I'm like hey like a like a close collaborator I'm like hey this is actually a really good point maybe Mm -hmm. next time you know whatever but that's rare Almost never do comments have really great points. Yeah. One of the things I I will say to go a little bit back to reviews, Film Threat, which I found really just like 
mean-spirited. They didn't say anything nice about the acting in the review. They said only negative things about the acting, whereas they said like some nice things about my directing and some nice things about the writing. And so I was like, I'm obviously not gonna share this with any of the actors, but they tweeted it and included the actor's handles. Like they specifically looked up what? the actor's handles and included That's them. That's so rude. So rude, especially like they included Nabil who like plays the one of the the guy who helps out and looks for the donkey and he's in literally two scenes and it's like why are you including him in this he's not even one of the main actors he's just like one you could find on Twitter I guess and it's just like why on earth would you tag them when you have literally nothing nice That's to say about wild. them yeah yeah our, our film threat review of buy-in was also negative they picked up on the homoerotic undertones I don't think that they thought it was on purpose <laughs> but it was <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, I was not overly uh, enthused by our experience with them. Yeah. And, and honestly, I've, I've, most of my friends, that's like a review. It's a site you can get a, like a review from a real critic from. And so most of my friends, especially ones who have features will release them. And I've never read a single, anything over a 6.5. It seems like every independent film, everyone just gets that or lower. And so it's whatever. But that was the only one I felt like was mean-spirited. Other sure. sites have always been very like, even if they don't like it, they have something nice to say. This was a little like it felt excessive. Personal. Yeah, it felt personal. And it's just like, why would you fucking include their handles? But anyway. Um, yeah, that's wild. Something I do like to do with troll comments or specifically Amazon reviews, especially with Summit, was share the really bad ones that made me laugh. Because mm-hmm. I think I think at a certain point... And, I will say what helped with Summit was that I wrote the script in 2011 and we shot it in January of 2013 and it was in post for a year and a half nearly. I mean like a year, but then also like by the time we actually got into a festival, it had been a year and a half to almost two years before our premiere. And then after we were on the circuit, it was then three years after we had shot it, but it had been in my life for five years. So I was like so fucking over it by the time we released it online that when we started to get reviews, I had since made Kelsey the web series. I had made at least seven short films. I had, I was already like working on About a Donkey, you know, in pre-production. And so I was so emotionally over it that I was able to just kind of laugh at the negative reviews or, or like the Amazon reviews anyway, because they were coming from just like a lot of trolls. And some are just so funny. Like one was, <laughs> one just said, this movie was so bad, I had to watch it twice to make sure it was as bad as I felt. <laughs> and I was just like, great, like you gave me money because mm. Amazon pays you per minute watched. So like, thanks, you know, or at least like you have to hit 60 minutes in order to get fucking 15 cents at the time. And now it's yeah. like two cents. Yeah, it's, it's nothing. I But I, I consistently get six cents a month from Amazon. And now I think the only thing on Amazon now is buy-in. So great. Yeah. Good job for us. <laughs> but that was one that I thought was just so funny. A lot would say it was like liberal propaganda, which I don't even understand with that movie, except that at the end, the one of the characters pulls out a gun and the other characters are like, why do you have a gun? And he's like, for protection. And the other characters are like kind of judgmental about that. And so I assume that like it's from people who are just like, everyone should have a gun. And like, how dare they criticize him for having a gun? I mean, I feel like people think anything is liberal propaganda that isn't just like <laughs> cis white dudes running around like talking right. about girls, you know? Right. And, right, and, that, and that's, it, it's, it's a useless thing it's it's a useless piece of feedback of comment like this is a liberal agenda i'm like well we're all liberals (laughs) so like yeah 
It, yeah. You got us. You figured us out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I vacillate in like between just totally ignoring people to like commenting something like "thanks for watching" smiley face or yeah. to just going full in like "this is why you're wrong." And mm-hmm. it depends for me. Like I, I tend to argue with people more on like YouTube videos of mine. Like the Bechtel test video is my most popular video on my personal channel, and because uh, I don't make YouTube videos anymore, it's just not something that I do or have time for. But um, like I still pretty consistently get views on that video and like it, it's a pretty much even split between like mostly women saying oh wow this is a great video and men's uh and then men saying this is dumb they're just movies and then there's like a small <laughs> like outer contingency of people who are like it was just a comic that's not what the Bechtel test does and I'm like yeah I know that's the video. <laughs> the video was saying the Bechtel test is not is not meant to do this. So like, stop using it for this. And they're like, well, nobody does. And I'm like, well, did you watch the video? I cite multiple places that do. And so like, I was it, like, I will argue on that one just because like, I feel very passionately about we need to do better in film critique and in like film reviews of like actually analyzing if a movie is good versus like just saying the numbers don't add up so it's bad or good Mm -hmm. or like hey more women-led movies are popular because these all pass the Bechdel test I'm like well that's not the right metric and I think it's making it worse and I I have a lot of feelings about the Bechdel test but like for me it's like if you are going to go out there and be a person who watches movies I want you to think more critically about them Mm -hmm. and I I because that's the only way that we're going to get any le- like level of progress because it's all going to be consumer based and so like mm-hmm. i i will sometimes argue them i've since i've 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 said my piece in a <laughs> lot of comment threads on that video so i've largely stopped doing that mm-hmm. but like on my own personal work like i'm not going to respond to every shitty comment and be like hey fuck you man like if it's actively offensive or something like i'll just block it mm-hmm. you know or i'll report it or something mm-hmm. everything else i'll just like <laughs> i'll give a thumbs down and then you know go on my way cuz like right. i don't have time for that. And I right. think that something that you said, Christina, is really great, which is the best way to not feel so personally attacked by reviews, by trolls, is to be already making something else. Because like everything you make is going to be better. It's good to have that detachment. I think that's why it's helpful. You know, some people I know will put, especially with shorts, they put their shorts up online as soon as they're done and they don't do a festival run. Mm-hmm. But one of, outside, even outside of like audience engagement and, and building an audience and all that, one of the benefits of doing a festival run before you release it is that you've probably created some distance emotionally and you're working on something new. And so it's not so raw when you share it and you start getting those comments. 100%. The last thing I'll also say is I found a lot of camaraderie in sharing the trolls, like screenshots of some of the the worst comments because then other people start commenting and sharing their own, like, you know, this person, like that exact user said the exact same fucking thing to my movie, you know, and like you start to feel a little bit of distance from it because it then isn't so much about you. It's like, oh, this is just a thing that happens. Mm -hmm. And like, it's, and you can find humor in that and you can find solidarity in that. And, and also I've, I've definitely used negative troll comments to like, use as marketing quotes like oh 100 percent. i do too there's a there's a quote from w- one of the reviews i mentioned from brains from the first season of brains that was like castellini is largely what makes the series watchable which is like such a rude thing to say especially for the show that i wrote but I, I i made an i cut an acting reel because i was like well i have a lot of material of me acting and so i cut an acting reel and in between each clip i have like a review of my acting because <laughs> you know i've acted enough now that there's a there's a handful of quotes that i can use and so some of them are just like straight up nice but the 
then I use that one as the final one. And I every time I watch it, I think it's funny. And I mm-hmm. like I feel like I've taken some of the power back, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get a lot of like gender based nonsense, especially on something like the gays, which is like, as we talked about, you know, it's going to piss some men off. And so they'll say something like, oh, this is clearly like a man hating director or something. And I'll like use that as as a selling point and just like make it funny and tongue in cheek. And then people will be like, well, now I have to watch it because Mm -hmm. of this, you know? Yeah. Figure out a way to make it not personal, whether it's just completely ignoring it, whether it's having a friends or family screen the comments first, or whether it's turning it into a total joke. Like I, I'm definitely a person who I will make it a joke. That's, that's Mm -hmm. the way that I retain power in every part of my life is I find a way to laugh at it you know and I I have gotten to the point where it's genuine and it's not like I'm laughing to hide the tears like (laughs) I am fully like this is extremely funny and like it'll hurt it always hurts like when you Mm -hmm. first read it and then like you just need to figure out well what comes next that will be the healthiest for me and for making work in the future yeah it's great (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's that's all I have to say about feedback, trolls, and reviews. <laughs> what about you? That's all I've got. Let's uh, wrap it up. Thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music, Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, Ezra Lee for editing this episode, and to all of you for listening. Links to learn more about them, as always, are in our episode description. And thank you to our booby VIPs who are $10 patrons on Patreon. Shannon Sprangler, Jules Piggott, Rain Bernal, Kelsey Rauber, Jerry Maravia, Norman Steinberg, and Shana Rose Woolley. If you would like a name shout out at the end of every episode, please feel free to subscribe at patreon.com slash breaking out pod. Uh, our episodes release every other Thursday, so we'll see you in two weeks, although we'll see you next week for the bonus content on this episode. And also make sure to rate us five stars on your favorite podcast app if you have haven't already and remember that writing a review a nice review happy (laughs) feedback uh will brighten our days and also help us in sort of the search results and algorithm so we really appreciate everyone who writes one and we love you all equally except for those of you who give us one stars which don't exist yet so thank you for that (laughs) uh next episode we will be covering works that shaped and inspired us so be sure to tune in and we will see you then